Hi, my name is Adrienne Beatty, and I'm the Kids Ministry Director at Saltbox Church, where you can find a community who will walk with you into a deeper relationship with King Jesus. Well, happy Thanksgiving week. I'm glad you are with us. I want to look into the camera and say welcome. Good morning if you're joining us online. Um, I am in Acts uh, 16. I've got a little passage we're going to unpack there. Um, and true to form, it is like difficult and opens up all sorts of things. So, oh my goodness, here we go. So here's what this is uh, really about this morning. It is about freedom in Christ. Okay, freedom in Christ. And I'm actually convinced that we're far more free in Christ than most of us will ever know or ever grasp. So here's uh, Acts 16. We're going to start in verse 1. And you know what? Before I do that, I want to say um, two quick things. The last two Sundays, we have had people um, run down here, literally run down front after service and give their life to Jesus. And I would also say not just casual, um, but like people who have wrestled for a number of months, people who are coming out of not just casual about God or Jesus, but probably almost anti. Um, so really, really amazing. Um, and I just want to encourage you that something beautiful is happening here in our midst. So keep joining us, keep inviting. Um, also on that note, we are coming up on our Christmas Eve service. Um, please consider reaching out to a neighbor and inviting them to join you at that Christmas Eve service, okay? Just a note. All right, um, I'm going to jump into this freedom in Christ um, in Acts 16. And I would basically say to you uh, as people, I think this is true in my own life, I think it's probably true in yours, but as humans, we prefer rules and legalism to freedom and relationship. Let me say that again. I think as humans, largely, we prefer um, rules and even legalism to freedom and to relationship. In, in a lot of ways, freedom and relationship feels or can feel almost unsafe. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do? There's freedom. Whereas when there's um, rules or sort of a, even a legalistic, that's kind of a church word um, for how you would interpret and look at the Bible. So a lot of times people gravitate towards places that have greater rules um, and greater even legalism rather than greater freedom and greater relationship. And we're going to unpack Paul on that this morning. Are you ready? Okay, let's dig in. Acts 16, we're going to start reading in verse 1. And then Paul's going to do something here that we're going to unpack um, in 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. So we're going to sort of understand Acts, or Acts 16 through 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. Um, and we're really going to ask a hard question. The question is, is Paul a double-minded chameleon? That's what we're going to ask, okay? And as we unfold that, we're going to take a look at the biblical definition of freedom in Christ, the biblical definition of maturity in Christ, and, the, and then Paul's really what I would call a clarion call to those of us who are spiritually mature. All right? Here we go. Okay. Acts 16, starting in verse 1. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. So where does Timothy live? Lystra. Now, if you flip back, you don't have to go back, but if you went back to Acts 14, about Acts 14, verse 20, um, uh, Paul is actually um, in a place called Lystra, and Acts 14, 20 says, but after the disciples um, 
Oh, it says, verse 19, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won, won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. So Paul has come back to the place where he was preaching Jesus, and how, was, how did they respond? They stoned him, threw big chunks of rock at him, and not only did they stone him, they thought he was dead, so they drug him outside the city. Now, I'm willing to bet that in this crowd, there was a young boy by the name of Timothy who watched this happen, almost assuredly. So, isn't it amazing Paul would even go back to such a city? Like, we don't like to go back to, to a friendship or to a place when someone's hurt our feelings, much less... Okay, y'all get the point. All right. <clears throat> Uh, he went back to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a uh, Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. Now, this is racial. So what do we have here? A mixed race marriage is the way we'd say that. Now, in, if, if uh, Timothy's mother was from an Orthodox family, and we don't know, we can't know from the text, but if she was and she married a Greek, what would her father have done? literally thrown her out of the family. In fact, an Orthodox family in this day and time, they may have even had a funeral to celebrate her death and totally put her out of uh, their mind. I mean, it was that serious. So she is in a mixed um, race uh, marriage, um, Greek and Jewish, so whose father was a Greek. Verse 2, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Who are they speaking well of? Timothy. Timothy. All right. Um, just to put this in context too, Paul is probably in his late 40s, if he was born around 5 CE, um, mid to late 40s, and Timothy's probably in his late teens, early 20s. Um, Okay, verse 3. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Now remember, um, Paul always, almost always has another partner in ministry, and then he has a third person who's a junior partner. So on his last ministry um, endeavors, he took with him Barnabas, and they had another guy named John Mark. So now he's on another endeavor, and now he's got Silas, and he's looking for another young guy, and the young guy's name is now Timothy. You got it. All right, you're rolling. Okay, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Now, if you've been with us every week, um, you've been through Acts 15, you kind of know what's happening. If you've not been or you've missed some, you can go back and catch up. But the essence of this um, is very important. And I'm not going to get super into circumcision, but in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, if, we, if I took you back to the Old Testament, um, circumcision was an external sign that you belong to God and you followed the Mosaic Law. And they've just gotten into a huge fight over whether or not you have to be circumcised and basically you have to become Jewish in order to become Christian. And now, if you remember, who championed the anti-circumcision movement? Paul. In fact, I'm not going to take you here, but I could take you to Galatians 2, verses 3 and 4. And Paul actually talks about their refusing to circumcise Titus. So immediately what we have setting up here, if you know your Bible, is, okay, so you have on one hand where um, the, the Jewish church is saying, hey, you've got to circumcise this Greek kid named Titus so that he can eat with us. And Paul says, absolutely not. You do not have to be circumcised or follow the Old Testament, Old Covenant laws. There's 613 um, mitzvah laws or Old Covenant laws and then a bunch more sort of social laws that get wrapped around those. Um, but regardless, Paul says, absolutely, you do not have to do all that in order to be saved, and he refused to circumcise Titus. Now, 
a few pages later, we have Timothy comes onto the scene, and what does Paul do? Is Paul double-minded? We at least have to ask that question. Is he a chameleon? Does he get in front of this crowd and say one thing, and then he gets in front of this crowd and says another? Does he spin his life to look one way over here, and then he gets over here, and he's going to spin it the other way? Come on, do we all have that tendency? I think so. Okay, but what is happening here, um, and, and why would Paul do one thing in the case of Titus, and then another thing in the case of Timothy, and then what in the world is the Holy Spirit of God doing, and how can we in 2023 learn from this? Okay. That's what's before us. Uh, Let me finish this in in Acts 16, and then I'll tell you that. Um, Paul wanted to take him along in the journey, verse 3, so he circumcised him, become as the Jews who lived in that area. Side note, can you imagine being a 20-year-old man undergoing that? Okay, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Verse 4, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, which coincidentally is you don't have to be circumcised and you don't have to follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in faith um, and they grew daily in number. Okay, so Paul, as a young man, um, you may or may not know this, but Paul, as a young man, grew up, he would have grown up in a very religious um, home. And um, so before his uh, conversion to Christ, his understanding of what it meant to walk with this Yahweh God, um, who he later came to know or at least understand as Jesus, is that he would have been a slave, if you will, to religious ceremony and ritual under the Jewish law. Okay, so, so Paul's even looking back, um, and I already told you, but that consisted of 613 precepts in the Old Testament, um, and then there were uh, oral amplifications. Jesus called those kind of, quote, the traditions um, of the elders, but those things combined were accepted as a divinely appointed way of life, uh, and Paul actually says that way of life is an instrument of spiritual death. Okay? And he takes a stand against it um, with Titus, and then he flips the coin and circumcises Timothy. All right, so let's open this up. Um, Paul is treading a very fine line here, and he's risking the charge and accusation of inconsistency at almost every turn. So how do we understand freedom then in Christ? What is he even um, doing? And so what I would want you uh, to begin to understand is when Paul and Barnabas, and we could go through Acts and look at it, but when they go into a city, the first thing that they're going to do is go where to preach? To a synagogue. And Paul, I love this about Paul, because he always honored the old covenant, he honored the Hebrew people, he honored the nation of Israel, and he always went first to the synagogue, and 9 or 9.5 times out of 10, what did they say at the synagogue? Get out of here! Sometimes they threw rocks at him. Sometimes they threw him out physically. And once he'd been almost released from that, what then did he begin to do in the city? He's going to turn and he's going to begin to preach Jesus to all the Gentiles and invite them. But he always starts in the synagogue. Okay, so in certain circumstances, for the sake of the gospel, it appears that Paul was actually prepared to come again under the law. You're going to have to go with me because I'm going to unfold it. So in order um, to avoid starting off a relationship on the wrong foot, it appears that he's willing to come under the old covenant law. Follow me? So would Timothy, as an uncircumcised man, um, half Jew, half Greek, been allowed into synagogues? 
Absolutely not. So by doing that, he takes on the likeness of a Jew, and suddenly he's allowed then to go into the synagogue to preach Jesus. Okay, now, equally, it also um, looks from Paul, to me from Paul, that he is willing and prepared to ignore almost all religious obligations in order to win those totally um, beyond religious orthodoxy. Does that make sense? I mean, there's a case where he goes into a temple and he's like, hey, check it out, you've got an altar to an unknown God. Let me tell you about the unknown God. His name is Yahweh. His name is King Jesus. Let me introduce you to him. I mean, that's, there's, there's people today that if you did that, they'd, they'd have a meltdown. Okay, in both approaches, though, what you get is Paul running the risk of actually, and he did actually, offend Christians. Paul's notorious for offending everyone. I mean, notorious. So, <clears throat> let's now ask my question again. Is Paul a double-minded chameleon? Why refuse to circumcise Titus on one hand and then circumcise Timothy on the other? Like, how do we reconcile this? Let me give you a couple points. In the case of Titus, the Jewish leaders um, are saying he must be circumcised in order to be a Christian. In order to be welcomed at the table, in order for us to like walk with him as a brother, he must be circumcised, which means he must become a full Jew. He must become a completed Jew in order to become a Christian. And Paul stands up and goes, no, absolutely not. He fights it really to the end. Second thing, because of the work of Christ on the cross, circumcision is now unnecessary um, for acceptance into the presence of Yahweh God. We don't have to follow the 613 Old Covenant mitzvah laws and the social laws that surround them. What do we have to do? Surrender our life um, or exchange our life with the Lordship of Christ Jesus. We give him our old broken life and he gives us the life of Christ. Okay, that's New Testament. And in so doing, as he transforms us, there are times and places where we begin to fulfill things naturally as we live that out, um, even like the Ten Commandments. But we don't do those things. We're not um, performing or obeying old covenant laws in order to be saved. You follow me? So, so you, you enter into this deep abiding relationship with God, and he, he is the only way by which men and women can be saved. He's the only way. Okay. So, um, hear me loud and clear. Paul is saying circumcision is unnecessary for acceptance into the presence of God, into relationship with God. Um, so you don't have to be a Jew to follow Christ. Christ became the Lamb of God, making a way for sinners like me and sinners like you to find salvation and to be born again, experiencing the presence of God, the, the Holy Spirit of God, both here on earth and in eternity. Okay, third thought here. Because of the mission. Now, what's the mission? Matthew 28. Jesus gave us a mission. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to do everything I've commanded you. So because of the mission, so in some ways this is mission-centric, but because of the mission, Paul is suddenly going here. It is advisable, and not only advisable, it is acceptable um, to go ahead and circumcise Timothy so that he is accepted by Jewish human beings. Now, I'm going to flip something here, and I'm going to have to come back to it, but I would actually propose to you that by Paul circumcising Timothy, he shows just how emancipated he is from Old Testament Jewish thought. And I'm going to unpack that, because some of you are like, what? You can say that. It's okay. 
<clears throat> okay, so let's, in order to kind of walk this sort of, it's almost like this line or this knife edge out, let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. This is where Paul unpacks this, and this is a very complex, like, theological thing here. So 1 Corinthians 9, I'm going to start reading um, in verse 19. <clears throat> okay. 1 Corinthians 9, and this is, the, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth who are falling into some similar situations. Verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one. So what is he saying? I'm totally free. I don't belong to anyone. I have made myself a slave to everyone. So to win as many people as possible. So mission-centric. Is Paul free to circumcise Timothy? Yes. Is he free to not circumcise Timothy? Yes. But because it's mission-centric, he's going, okay, I am free. I belong to no one, but I have chosen to become a slave, if you will, to everyone. So in order so that the Jews in each of these towns or cities we are going into would understand and hear the power of the gospel of Christ Jesus, I am willing to bring myself back underneath the law, obeying the Old Testament covenants and rituals so that for a moment, so that we can gain entrance and they can hear the gospel. Make sense? Okay. <clears throat> Let's keep going. Uh, verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. So what did he do to Timothy? Circumcised him to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Now, I love this. There's a little parentheses in my Bible. I'm reading NIV. Though I myself am not under the law. Now, he is so free here. Like, he is free, and I am just actually convinced that not only is Paul not a chameleon, and not only is he not double-minded, he is free to circumcise in the case of Timothy. He is free to not circumcise in the case of Titus. Like, there is such freedom in Christ. And I'm actually convinced if we as New Testament believers would ever get a hold of the extent and the depth and the breadth and the width of not only the love of Christ, but the freedom of Christ, it would probably short-circuit us. Okay, <clears throat> verse 21, to those not having the law, who's he talking about? Gentiles. One of the things that to me is so cool about Paul is when you look at this guy, if he walks into a place that doesn't have Jewish roots, he never starts by explaining the Jewish Bible. He always starts with creation. Look at the sunrise, look at the sunset, and look at the human body, L look at this natural order of things. Let me introduce you to the creator, and then he works from that point. If he walks into a place or a setting where people have a, a frame of reference of the Old Testament, he'll begin there. But Paul is very versatile, all for the sake of the mission. Got it? This is coming to you. You just wait for it. It's coming. All right. <clears throat> Uh, to those, verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one um, not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. <clears throat> Paul.
Paul, in some ways, choosing to circumcise Timothy is him being tolerant of the rigidity and the imperfections of those who were still living from an Old Testament perspective. Do you see that? He's having grace. He is choosing to overlook what is happening inside of this group of people so that he can win them to Christ. If you're married... Are there things that you have to overlook about your spouse? If you're honest before God, just with your own self and your own skin, are there things that you have to be patient about yourself in your own Jesus journey? I have yet to get to the end of a day and not been able to look back and go, I wish I wouldn't have, I wish I would have, I mean, that's never yet happened to me. I've never gotten to the end of the day and gone, man, I mean, I smoked this day. This was awesome. (laughs) I don't think it's going to happen until I get to heaven. Okay. So I'm introducing to you something, and I'm going to unfold this a little bit more, but Paul's call for us to be tolerant of the imperfections of others. Okay. Keep going. Um. I love a Martin Luther, um, the famous church reformer, summed up this truth that we just read in, in 1 Corinthians 9 as follows. Here's what he said. Ready? A Christian man or woman is the most free, lowercase l, Lord of all. Subject to none. A Christian man or woman is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So put that in Abby and my case for just a second. There are certain things that because Abby and I have chosen to be pastors that we have actually had to set aside for the sake of the church. There's things that we could do and probably even say that, yeah, it's fine. But for the sake of a growing church, we've chosen to set aside our freedom and enter into some constraint uh, for the sake of winning people to Christ. Follow me? That doesn't mean we're not free. All right. The church in Corinth here, I would actually say at this moment, has lost its mission. So it's become less concerned with winning unbelievers to Christ Jesus and discipling unbelievers um, as they are with managing the spotless image of their church. You follow me? So what's become very important to this church in Corinth as it relates to this whole thing is to them, they would rather look good, sound good, appear good than actually um, let people be in their own Jesus journey. In other words, there's certain people that they don't want on their stage or in their pews or in their larger church family because it's going to make their church look bad. You hear me? And so what what I'm actually introducing to you is Pauline theology is like, look, it is all things to all people. Let them come wherever they are, wherever they are in their journey. And he's then calling us. He's saying he himself as an apostle and every one of his church, he's going, we are going um, to be kind and we're going to be tolerant of people's, whether it's rigidity and imperfections or just total lostness and brokenness because they're coming from the world. But either way, we are going to be more tolerant and more grace-based, Believing that they are in a journey taking steps towards being fully filled and sanctified by Christ Jesus. You follow me? Okay. <clears throat> Let me read. Um, so go to chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in verse 23. And then I'm going to try to link some things together here for us. 
So Paul's talking about the same concept here. It's the end of chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 23. I have the right to do anything. Whew, that's freedom. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Now let's pause there for a minute. In Corinth, in the meat market, everything sold would have been first sacrificed to what? An idol. Go there a second. Literally, Paul is writing this knowing that everything sold in the meat market would have been first sacrificed to an idol. And he's saying, you are so free in Christ, you can eat anything. You are not bound to what's been done to this meat or to this food or what has happened in this situation. You are absolutely free. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Got it? Now he's going to temper it. Here we go. Verse 27, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So an unbeliever in Corinth in that day of age would have taken a little bit of alcohol, probably wine, and they would have actually poured out a libation to the gods. They would have dedicated everything um, in the entire meal to an idol. And Paul's saying, go, sit, eat. Application, is there anyone we as believers shouldn't eat with? No, if there's someone or someones or some place you cannot yet go or you're too afraid to go, that's okay, be at peace. But ultimately in your Jesus journey, you ought to arrive at a place where you can eat with anyone, you can walk with anyone, you can celebrate with anyone. It doesn't matter who they are or where they've been or what they've done or what they've failed to do. You are free in Christ. That's what he's saying. Verse 28, now this is interesting. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in a sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. So in other words, if there's an immature believer at the table and you come and sit down and the immature believer says, well, this meat's been sacrificed to an idol, don't eat it. Why? Because you're, you're not free? No, you choose to not eat it for the sake of the other person, for the sake of their conscience. So you choose to lay something down. You choose to give up a portion of your freedom, not because you're not free in Christ. And here's where people get all mixed about. So Christians, we make all these rules. Well, you can't do this, and you can't say this, and you can't watch this type of movie. And I mean, it used to be, and you can't dance, and you can't drink, and you can't smoke, and all those things make you a non-believer. And if you do those things, you're going to hell. Come on, some of you have heard that before, old-time religion. None of that is accurate, but what does become accurate is any, any behavior that you do is an indicator of where the human heart is. And what Paul is actually trying to get at is there is not any particular behavior that is going to send you to hell it, it, the, it is a, or, or, or allow you to choose hell, if you will. But it, it is a state of the human heart of choosing to reject God, choosing your own will and way in which God will allow you to enter eternal darkness. Does that make sense? So, so it's not about what you do or, or don't do. Um, <clears throat> let's go back to this, and I'll keep trying. Okay. Verse 29. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. 
So again, he's saying, could you eat it? 100%. But for the sake of them, should you? No, that's what he's saying. For why is my freedom being judged by another conscience? This is what immature believers, you'll hear them. Well, why should I not do that? I'm free in Christ. You choose to give up certain things for the sake of the ones you love and are journeying with. Make sense? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 30. If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thanked God for? So he's just going, well, I thank God for this. Why can't I, why can't I exercise my freedom? And Paul's basically going, well, you can. Verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That's important. We'll come back to it. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. Now, does that mean Paul's a people pleaser? No, far from it. But what he's saying is I'm not going to do anything that will cause another brother or sister who is on their way into either a relationship with Jesus or the sanctifying Jesus journey to stumble. Even as I try, verse 33, to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Okay, let's open this up. Let me just give you some um, practical, modern examples. And I'm going to raise more questions, I'm afraid, for you than I'm going to answer. I'm not afraid of that. Because you are in your own Jesus journey. You're in your own place. You're at your own maturity level. This is why it's the living and active word. It's going to interact with you. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to open things up. So is, in and of itself, drinking alcohol evil? No. Like, oh, go there a second. But are there people who have been subject to alcohol abuse and or addiction, and therefore you, by partaking in front of them, are being insensitive and might cause them to stumble? Yes. Let me give you a practical example of that. Um, I had a friend. Um, he's still kind of a friend, although I think I offended him. <laughs> uh, but, but this friend, um, and he's, he's dear, um, but this friend, he was always posting photos of both alcohol and cigars on his, um, on his social media page. Okay. And I was like, you know, whatever, you're free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of this, okay? You're free. But at some point, I kept watching this, and I finally sat down with him, and I said, hey, has it ever, has this passage, I actually took him here, has this passage ever, have you ever considered this, that, that like, what you're doing might be actually creating difficulty and confusion in the mind of nonbelievers? Is it possible that you might should like put some of this like behavior away? Not because you're not free in Christ, but why make a deal out of this? Aren't we here to preach the gospel of Jesus? Aren't we here to lead people to Christ? Aren't we here to move forward the kingdom of God? And if your little silly post about whatever you're posting doesn't move forward the kingdom of God, maybe you should stop doing it. I don't know if he liked it. We don't talk a lot anymore. <laughs> but I love him. Is what he was doing inherently sinful? No, this is very important. He is free in Christ. Drunkenness is sinful. Addiction to alcohol would be sinful. Um, losing control of yourself, surrendering control of yourself to any foreign substance where the Holy Spirit of God no longer has control of you um, is sinful partaking in something is not sinful. But if you're giving yourself over to something, you are actually surrendering yourself to a foreign substance instead of to the person and power of Jesus. You follow me? That's what becomes sinful. So in and of itself, was this guy doing anything that was sinful? 
No. But what I was calling him to was a higher level of maturity in his walk. Why reduce yourself and cause other people confusion and cause them to stumble? You're a well-respected man in the Christian community. That's the way I choose to live. Let's open another thing. Halloween. Halloween is a day dedicated to Satan. Now, Paul just said, you are free to eat what? A food, a meat that has been what? Sacrificed to an idol. There's people that fall on all sides of this coin. I'm not going to give you a great answer. Other than you're free in Christ. Is that day dedicated to the dark Lord, lowercase l Lord? Yes. If you go out and go trick-or-treat and get a Tootsie Roll and you eat your Tootsie Roll, are you in some ways participating in something that has been dedicated just like 1 Corinthians 10? Yes. Does that mean that you cannot or you should not or Christ doesn't cover you? No. But what it does mean is just be careful with your freedom that you don't flaunt it in front of everybody because there are people, especially newer in their own Jesus journey, that they might not be able to handle it and they might actually need to say, no, 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 we're not going to celebrate it. Be at peace. You follow me? So there's not an ultimate, I don't think there's an ultimate right or wrong. Are you free? Abby and my personal opinion on this, we've, we've gone both sides, we've wrestled it, I've wrestled it all through here. Uh, I don't care for anything gore, anything horror, horror, anything blood, I'm just like, no, 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 no. But to say that I have to stay holed up on my back porch and turn all my lights off and not participate in Halloween, I think indicates that I'm not free in Christ. I would rather see even you as a church sitting on your front porch giving some little kid in a weird outfit candy and going, man, Jesus loves you and so do I. Like, let's get out of our religiousness sitting on hiding and turning the lights off. No, 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 no. Let's get out and share Jesus with him. And if for you that means to put on a Woody costume, then great, put on a Woody costume. You hear what I'm saying? You are free in Christ. Now, if in your freedom you decide to flaunt it and take pictures and splash it all over the place and it begins to cause people to stumble, I might come to you and go, hey, check your heart. You, you hear me? I hope you're following. This is, this is nuanced. This is challenging. But I'm introducing you to Pauline thought, Jesus thought, freedom in Christ thought. Okay, let's talk about something else. Yoga. Every move in yoga is a Hindu pose to a false god. Can you eat meat sacrificed to idols? Go ahead, go back. Can you eat meat sacrificed to idols? Yes. Do I think that if you do yoga, you're going to go to hell? No. Like, do you see what, is, what, what we take, us Christians, we prefer rules and we prefer legalism rather than freedom in Christ. Paul's actually going, you can really do just about anything that is, that, so long as your heart is right, if the Holy Spirit of God is sifting your heart um, and you are not surrendering your body or your mind or your will to a foreign God, you can participate, you can eat, you can do, um, it, you are free. Now, just like Halloween, there's a whole group of Christians that are like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And I would say, that's no problem. Be free. 
be free. There's people in our church that do some uh, Jesus yoga, Christian yoga with like Christian music and Bible. It's beautiful. Am I going to put it on our Facebook page? Probably not. I'm just not. That might offend you. I'm not going to make it loud and proud. But on the other hand, you are free. Stop living like you're not free. Stop living like Jesus doesn't have jurisdiction of your life and the lives of those around you and our church and our people. You, You follow me? Okay, let's talk about something else. Your choice in movies. Well, we don't watch anything more than PG or G or PG-13 or R. I don't know. I don't have an answer other than you are free in Christ. And if it's not polluting the minds of your little one and you, then you are free to watch it. But don't you dare impose on everybody else what they should be doing. You hear me? So where Christian churches go wrong is they, be, they, 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 they sometimes begin to make a rule list. Well, you can't dance and you can't drink and you can't, and you can't, and you can't watch this and you can't. And then all of a sudden you have people who are not exercising freedom in Christ. We're now walking like lockstep and we're just obeying the rules, thinking that we're in relationship with God because we are. False. You're free in Christ. Talked about smoking. What about Christmas trees? They're from a pagan holiday. Really? We have a Christmas tree in our home. Because I'm free. There's a Christmas tree in our foyer. There's some people that will be offended about that. I guarantee it. Because Christmas trees are pagan. But Paul just said, what can I eat? Eat anything at the meat market. Because we're? Okay, you're getting it. We could go on and on, but let, let, me, let me open a couple things here. Um, the only thing that I would say that you are not free, that I see in Paul's writings, there's two things, that you're you're forbidden um, or were forbidden. You could probably even say three. Um, But number one would be universalism. What do I mean by that? Mixing Jesus and faith with other religions. There's something afoot right now around the world to say that all religions are, 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 are different parts of the same thing. That's inaccurate. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's something we're forbidden from doing. Okay? Second thing I see that we're forbidden from doing. Mixing Jesus-centered biblical faith with human superstition. What do I mean by that? Horoscopes, astrology, the occult, black magic, fortune-telling, Satanism, all the like. You cannot mix light and darkness. And then the other thing you see throughout the New Testament is you cannot mix in sexual immorality. Three things. Okay, now, let's open up a couple things. The biblical definition of freedom in Christ. Are you ready? It's my best biblical definition of freedom in Christ. True freedom is the ability to follow the Holy Spirit to say both yes and no, weighing the motives and intentions of the heart before God and sifting them through the Bible and doing everything for his glory. Let me say it again. True freedom is the ability to follow the Holy Spirit to say both yes and no. Do we circumcise Titus? No. Do we circumcise Timothy? Yes. It's our freedom to say both yes and no, weighing the motives and the intentions of the heart before God, sifting them through the Bible and doing everything to the glory of God. All right, the biblical definition of maturity in Christ. You ready? Maturity in Christ. Paul lays down the theological premise that maturity is your ability to eat things that have been sacrificed to idols. But the greatest maturity is your ability to abstain and say no from things that will negatively impact those around you who are less mature. 
Do you hear me? The greatest maturity is not flaunting and exercising your freedom. The greatest maturity is saying, does Timothy need to be circumcised? No. But for the sake of the mission, we're going to surrender to it, make ourselves slaves to it so that we can gain entrance into synagogues and preach Jesus. Make sense? All right, Paul's clarion call on spiritually mature. Here it is. I'm not seeking my own good but the good of the body of Christ so that they may be saved. And every decision is made not seeking my own good, but the good of the body. It's how I ended that passage in 10. 10 verse 33, or 1 Corinthians 10, 33. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they might be saved. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20 is the Great Commission. And when any church anywhere stops being about the Great Commission, leading people to Jesus, making disciples, pointing them into deep, abiding relationship with him, and it starts mitigating what it allows in its pews, it is on the fast track to theological error. And I think Paul would reprimand them under 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. Okay, let's ask a couple of application points and then we'll close. Are there any areas in your life where you are inadvertently believing a works-based gospel? I'm saved because I'm circumcised, essentially. Are there any areas in your life where you are being narrow-minded and judgmental of others? Something to think about. Are there areas in your life where you're looking at the speck in someone else's life? We love to do this. Christians, we're so good at this. I mean, I'm so good at this. Are you looking at the speck in someone else's eyes? This is Matthew 7. And you're neglecting that there's a big old log hanging out of yours. Come on. And lastly, where are you trying to be pious and religious and refusing to be all things to all people? Now, what if the Holy Spirit of God's convicting you in this moment and you're like in your Jesus journey? You just go, Lord, forgive me. You're free. Lord, forgive me. You just shed it. Father, would you forgive me for being pious and judgmental? Will you forgive me for celebrating works righteousness? Will you forgive me for not recognizing how free I am? That's what I want you to do in this closing song, okay? Now, ministry team, if you'll go ahead and make your way up here. And if there's someone in the house today or online, but if you're in the house today and you have never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ Jesus, what do I mean by that? I mean, Jesus came and lived a perfect life that you can't live. He died a death that you can't die. He was resurrected to life. And he became the bridge that we could cross to be unified again with Yahweh God, the creator. And if you've never given your heart fully to this king and this Lord and surrendered your life to him, come on up here. I want to pray with you. Right here. This is Haley. I'll be right here. Come up here. We'll pray with you. Yeah, you're good. Right there. Okay. Let's do a closing song. And then I'll close this in prayer. to see every
for my breakthrough till my song becomes my triumph and I'll sing because I trust you I will bring for your voice and I'm shutting out the noise I know that you will speak when I'm when I'm stepping on the sea I know you'll take my hand and walk with me you'll walk For my breakthrough Till my song becomes my triumph And I'll sing because I trust you Father, I pray that we would be a church that is free indeed. Father, I pray that we would be a church that doesn't find our safety in rules or in legalistic performance, but rather in our knowledge and relationship with you, King Jesus. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us afresh. Father, I pray that you would send us out, causing us to be more aware of your person and your presence moment by moment, day by day. Father, I pray that people around us would taste and see the freedom that we walk in. Not condemnation, not legalism, not performance, but freedom. 
And then, Father, would you allow us as a church to be a people who is willing to give up freedom for the sake of those around us. Father, we worship you and we praise your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We are grateful to walk with you on your own Jesus journey to grow into a deeper relationship with King Jesus. For information to join us in person or online, check out saltboxchurch.com. Just Jesus, nothing more, nothing less.